The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Morning, everyone. Is this on? Yeah, good. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Robert Cusick, and uh, Andrea is out on the East Coast teaching and has asked me to fill in for a couple of her classes over the next couple of weeks. So I'm very happy to be here with you all again this morning. Who was here last week? Okay. So um, last week we talked uh, a little about um, a couple of different aspects of wisdom and how faith can inform wisdom. Uh, So I don't really want to go through that talk again, but uh, to just bring those of you who weren't in the talk a little bit up to speed, uh, we talked about two different aspects of wisdom, uh, the way of um, uh, knowing and the way of practice. So uh, the way of knowing would be that understanding of things as you're meeting them within your meditation or within your life exactly for what they are and, and not getting pulled away by details and stories and logistics and past and future thoughts, just the direct experience of what's happening to know the truth of it. And then the way of practice is that it's actually the Eightfold Path that allows us to be able to meet our experience in that kind of a direct way. So um, what I thought I wanted to do this week is to talk about more about how we meet that experience and how we understand what's actually happening so that we can know whether we're actually with our experience or we're in our our ideas about our experience. So to do that, we just really want to revisit um, how you set up a meditation, how, how we actually meditate. And um, rather than a talk, I'd like this to be a conversation because it becomes much more real for us when we, it, at least this is my style of learning, it becomes much more real for me when I engage in the process in, in, in a more active way. So one of the things that um, I want to say just to begin is that um, when we sit down to meditate, um, there's a tendency, even for experienced meditators, to just sit down, take our position, and we're looking for the breath or we're doing whatever Brahma-vihara practice we're doing. We just go right into the meditation. Not everyone does this, but there, there's a tendency for people to do this, and I've noticed this in my own practice and with people that I work with. And so it's important to remember 
uh, or it's worthwhile to remember, let me put it that way, that there's no hurry, there's no need to rush. We're not, you know, running a race here. We're simply taking time to sit down and quiet down. And we can't ever know what's happening in the mind if we're so busy that we never set it up to create the conditions where we can see what's actually going on. So um, what I'd like to suggest that we do is to really take notice of the way that we enter into a meditation. One of the ways that we can do that is to notice the quality of our awareness uh, when we sit down. So we all arrived here this morning and we came uh, from our early morning activities, whatever they were. You might have been dropping people off at work or at school. And, um, you know, navigating traffic and trying to get here on time. And so that whole sort of field of energy is what we come in with. And, um, and then we sit down and immediately uh, there's a tendency to like try to switch to a meditative mind state. And this is not really so useful because uh, there's a lot of forcing and striving that's embedded in that very, um, that very simple movement. Um, and we think that this is something that is going to, uh, that this is the right thing to do. <laughs> so our intention is, is good, but our execution is kind of, um, I don't want to say sloppy, but it's, it's not very skillful. So um, it's really important to, to just begin to notice that you, you've just arrived. You know, that's all. You've just arrived. And uh, this is actually an act of friendliness towards yourself. This is an act of kindness. This is an act of self-care. To just realize that you can't just throw a switch and, and have one experience turn into another experience. As much as we would like that to happen, it doesn't seem to work that way. So this is part of what it means to collect your attention. This is part of what it means to gather your attention, to begin to notice what's going on. So then we get certain meditation instructions, turn your attention to the breath, notice body, bodily sensations, and so on and so forth. These are all just methods in which we can begin to uh, turn the mind to some sort of an anchor that allows us to quiet down. But when we immediately try to go there uh, and force ourselves, it's not very helpful. Have you noticed this? Yes. Um, I, 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 I do so much about approaching the practice in, in pure ignorance. So what, I'm trying, what I want to ask is, 
he's saying, so like, okay, I'll use me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So would you uh, begin again, because it is being okay. recorded. Um, well, as I said, I do, I, I, about doing the practice, I do come from so much ignorance. Mm-hmm. I don't have that much knowledge about how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm asking is like, okay, this morning I came in, and I think I did what you're saying. I came in and I thought, okay, just put everything behind you, and now is the time to meditate. Are you kind of saying like, it would help if when one comes in, one goes, okay, I just got here, and then? That's the question? <laughs> I just got here, what is it like just getting here? You see? It's like, instead of, now's the time that I have to just stop thinking (laughs) and begin meditating, it's, what is it like to just arrive? What is my experience right now just arriving? You see, getting getting to a place where the we, were, we can see what it's like in that very moment of experience to meet the truth of that moment of experience begins with something as simple as the way that we enter into our meditation. It's really that simple. Meditation and daily life become you know, one and the same when we begin to practice in this way. So when we sit down, we notice, okay, <clears throat> I just got here, I'm still anxious from the traffic accident that I narrowly avoided. Um, You know, I've got a busy day ahead of me, I'm thinking about that. And instead of like saying, okay, none of that's there, pretending that none of that's there, and I'm just gonna focus on the breath right now. It's, you notice what's there, you accept what's there, you see what's there, you can accept what's there, you can be with what's there without fighting against it, and then you can know that you're actually meditating, you're seeing what's happening. You're beginning to see what's happening without fighting against your, your own experience. Because what happens to many of us is that, um, you know, uh, we sit down and there's this shift from one mode of operation to another or one mode of awareness to another and when we're quieting down. But what we do is we bring everything with us. There was a wonderful book uh, written by John Kabat-Zinn called Wherever You Go, There You Are. I love the title of that book. It's like, you know, you can go to the ends of the earth, but you're still going to bring yourself with you. So, you're, so what I'm suggesting is that we br- we've all brought our mourning with us here. But over t- So then we sit down and we say, okay, now I'm, it's time to meditate. And whatever that means to us, we begin to do that. And when we do that over and over and over again, that's the habit. We cultivate that habit of this is what it means to meditate. You see? But that can be, even though our intention is good, that we want to meditate, we want to slow down, we want to begin to see things as they are, 
um, were actually, for instance, let me be a little bit clearer. Um, I went off to Burma to meditate. I was going to be a meditator, right? So I would find myself in this magnificent meditation hall surrounded by 400 monks and feeling very holy and everything. And I would sit down to meditate and I was in Burma and all my friends and my life were in California. And I would close my eyes and instantly I would start to write letters to my friends. <laughs> I'd be writing letters. I would be, you know. <laughs> about my experiences and yeah whatever it wasn't it wasn't but the point was that I would sit down and oh now it's time to write letters you see I didn't realize that and of course I I had the opportunity to sit long enough to see what was happening so that you know in a way that began to fall away with time but the fact is that um it took, I cultivated that habit. And I still find after years of meditation that I'll sit down and I can easily default to, uh, for me it's not so much past thinking as future thinking. I'm moving into the future. I'm becoming in that way. But the point being that if we take the time to set the meditation up, if we take the time to be realistically gentle and kind to ourselves, we can begin to see that this is what the mind is doing. This is what our mind is doing. This is the habit of our mind. You see, it becomes part of the meditation from the very beginning. We can see the desire to meditate right. There's nothing wrong with that, but, I mean, it's wonderful to, to but, but, the idea of rightness can be really tricky. So um, it's much more skillful to see that we want, desire um, to do it right than to actually do it right. That's doing it right when we actually see that. Or something like that. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It, it really makes sense. And, and could you repeat the name of the author in the book? Because I think I heard his name last Friday for the first time from a, a friend. The author of the book? The book. Um, oh, John Kabat-Zinn. John. It's called Wherever You Go, There You, there you Are. His son is lecture chair. His son, yeah, Will. And he very under-publicizes the fact that he's John Kabat-Zinn. Right. Well... He's a, he's a Dharma teacher in his own right, believe me. A very good one, too. Thank you. So, sure, sure. Thanks for the, thanks for the question. So, um, so, having said that, uh, how do we do it? So, any ideas? Joel? It's funny, because I haven't done this in a while, and without... Before the lecture, before this Dharma talk, I came to mind. One of the things that I know you, Andrea, and Gil, I know Andrea does it a lot, is she suggests doing a body scan and kind of just going through the different parts 
<laughs> of my body and saying something like, may my forehead relax, may my you know, face relax. And this morning I decided to go through that a bit and kind of got sleepy but in the middle, but at least I went through part of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's not exactly what you're talking about because it's still kind of getting into the meditation, but at least it's preparing in some way. No, it is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm really, I'm really saying to, to take the time to enter the meditation, to take the time to be respectful for the fact that um, the energy that of the awareness that you had when you came to the seat is beginning to change. You're just beginning to create conditions in which the mind can settle. And when the mind settles, we, we cultivate these different qualities that allow us to have access to deeper understanding, to insightful understanding, to, uh, to patience, to kindness, to, and so on and so forth. So yes, so that's certainly one of the, the ways to do it. Um, so we would be told to just simply begin to notice the sensations in your body to notice whether you're tight anywhere or contracted anywhere, and to just begin to relax those places, to meet those places with a kind of friendliness rather than a kind of resistance, like something is wrong. You see, sometimes we can have a, um, an emotional experience or a mind state that's causing us to contract or something. And so if we just take the time to notice the bodily sensations, to notice where we might be feeling a little bit tight or, or anxious in the body and, and just relax, we can sometimes unknot an emotional experience or uh, we can uncover the fact that, you know, we're still carrying the resident energy of, you know, the snap, snappy exchange that we had with our partner in the morning or something. That these things are important to investigate. So, so when we begin to look at the body in that way, we can begin to relax the face, relax the arms, relax the hands, just to begin to relax. To, to come into that place of here I am in a chair, on a cushion, on the floor, doing nothing. I'm just here. I'm just arriving. There's nothing for me to accomplish or to prove or to do. I'm just sitting here. That's all that's happening. I'm just arriving. So when we can begin to relax in that way, we can look at um, how we're feeling. We can see whether we're expectant. We can see whether we're tense. We can see and discover whether we're missing our friends on the other side of the planet. Those, those things become more obvious and clear to us when we just relax. So the message here, if there is a message, is one of relaxing into the moment, relaxing into the experience that is beginning to unfold, 
rather than thinking we have to do it, we have to meditate ourselves into this state of relaxation. We simply meet the relaxation or we meet the experience with a quality and an intention of relaxation. It makes all the difference in the world. It really does. And, and we, can, we can do this over and over and over again and, um, you know, sort of mess up, quote-unquote, a thousand times. And if we get it once, <laughs> it's so sweet that um, we, it's like a carrot at the end of a stick. It's like, oh, that's what this is all about. You know, we just are relaxing and meeting the experience. I, I want to go back to something that you said, and uh, it's not necessary. I just want to point out that uh, uh, you are not ignorant of meditation or of how to meditate any more than any of us are ignorant of it. We know how to do it. We just have to practice a little bit so that it becomes clear. Every one of us in this room came to meditation with certain ideas about what it means to meditate. Every single one of us. You know, I don't want to name names of teachers, but all of our teachers did too. This is just what it means to be a human being. And in the process, if we stick with it long enough, if we're patient enough with the process, we begin to see through our ideas about things. So, and this is, I'm not meaning to point you out here, but since this is what you said is what we all have thought at one point or another, I want to suggest that, that so many of our ideas are infused with enormous judgment and self-criticism so that when we try to follow the breath and we don't, and we don't following the breath, the, the um, power of that prejudgment, like I'm ignorant of this, it, it comes and just slams us against the wall. It's like, see, I knew I was ignorant of it. I can't, I can't follow the breath. It's, it's so... I mean, even just in the setting up of the meditation, we can see what profound insights can be revealed. This may not sound important, <laughs> but when, when we begin to get it, this is profoundly um, life-changing. It can actually change the way that we meet our life in, in something as simple as this. So, so... There's a, another example. When we see that, the heart can actually respond because that moment is, is a moment of recognition of, oh my God, there's suffering here. This is deep, deep suffering to, to think of myself in this way and to experience this in this very real way. This is suffering, you see. And then the heart can respond with the feeling of kindness and compassion, self-compassion. So this is a way that self-compassion arises in our experience, but not through that sort of warm, necessarily that 
feeling of compassion that you feel when you see like a child fall off the curb and hurt themselves and, and you just want to, you know, that gushy, warm, nice quivering of the heart feeling that comes from compassion. This is seeing suffering through the, mind, uh, the wisdom door, you see, but it's just as real and the release is just as real. So, so what happens is that compassion can hold that moment of judgment without any judgment at all. Compassion can see how we are judging ourselves, right? And still accept us and hold us, you see? And when that happens, that moment is a moment of um, real letting go. It's letting go in a, in a way that actually gives us the flavor and taste of freedom. Yes, does it make sense? Okay. Would you speak a little louder or wait for the mic? Hold it like an ice cream cone. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yesterday I had something come up in my life that I had to deal with, which made me really, really tense. I woke up really early this morning uh-huh. thinking about it, just very tense. Can you, can you hear me okay? I'm having a little trouble. Can you turn that mic up just a bit? I, I can't hear. It is, on. is the light green? Okay, how's that? Now I can hear. Okay, so I sat in my bedroom like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I meditated about... Not, fo- not obsessing about that thing. And it, it, I got to a really peaceful place. It was quite nice, actually. I was able to go back to sleep again. So I come up here, and I'm thinking, okay, it's not, that's taken care of. I'm in this place where everybody meditates, you know. And there's something about being here that I got this knot come back in my stomach again. It's still there, some of it. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I was in my comfortable house, with my cat sleeping next to me, and everything is, is the environment was such that I could like, you know, have a good meditation and deal with that. And here, I, I tried to figure out what's going on with me, and all I could think of was this, this I don't, I, I did listen to your uh, talk last week on the Dharma, on the, uh, on the audio Dharma, but I wasn't here. But I was looking forward to being here, you know, and it, it something, Something didn't work right for me, and so I, I try to be very accepting of the fact that this is what's going on. Yes. But it didn't work really well. So that's yes. part of my that's part of my cycle. I think it's probably everybody's that can't always predict and whatever. I, I think that's very skillful to recognize that. So um, when we say that we have a good meditation, Normally what most people mean is that they've had a peaceful meditation or that everything has been pleasant and nice. Um, And when we have some old thing come up, we think that we're not having a good meditation or that something is wrong. But I want to suggest to you, I want to just throw out to you, that, um, or to the group, that um, Nice meditations are pleasant and nice. I, I, I don't want to diminish that. But sometimes the meditations that create 
a kind of uneasiness in us that we're aware of something going on that doesn't feel pleasant, that can also be a very good meditation. As long as we're aware that that's what's going on. If it just comes up and we just are washed away by it, then, um, uh, then it might not be as useful of a meditation. But the fact that we encounter things that are not pleasant in our meditation does not mean that there's anything wrong with the meditation or that we've done anything wrong or whatever. Because the mind, our minds are not always one way. We have shadows in our minds and we have light in our mind. And that seems to be the way things really are in the human realm. So um, it's not always possible to have that kind of a peaceful meditation. And if we were to look at the meditations that are, are peaceful, um, which I, I'm not going to do right now, I <laughs> otherwise I'll get distracted here. But I just want to suggest to you that I'm so glad that you came, and I really appreciate your, um, your honesty and transparency here and sharing this with the group. And I also want to point out to you that there's not a person in this room who hasn't had both kinds of meditations that you're describing. And they're both normal, they're both fine. And part of meditating is to meet those times, part of the meditation process, is to meet those times that are difficult and to see what's actually happening in the mind then. You see, so if we resist the difficulty and push it away or try to uh, deny it in some ways, then we're constantly, um, uh, then we will, you know, propel ourselves along that path. But if we begin to meet the truth of our experience that something is happening here, this is the actual truth of our experience, and we meet it with a kind of friendliness. Where, so in this way, whatever arises in our meditation is, is right, is perfect. You see, there's no, it doesn't have to be pleasant. We just have to know what's there. And when we begin to meet the truth of what's there, that opens us up to insightful wisdom, to, to this doorway to insight because we begin to see the way the mind is working. We begin to see what our desires are. We begin to see what our resistances are. We begin to see when we're confused even. You see? So we, I'm, I'm getting a little bit <laughs> far afield here, but we begin to actually notice the three characteristics of phenomena when we are willing to meet our experience. And those characteristics are the, the, the fact that all things change. Whatever comes into our meditation arises and stays for a while, and then it leaves. So this is called the Nietzsche. We begin to see the unsatisfactory nature of 
experience because there's no stability anywhere. And this is dukkha, suffering. And then we begin to see that we, when we invest our own identity in the experience, I'm a good meditator, I'm a lousy meditator, this is a good meditation that I'm having, or I'm having a bad meditation. That's also inherently a setup for suffering because there's everything changes. So, so welcome your difficulties <laughs> with, with, with uh, <laughs> an open heart. Yes. So I noticed this morning, setting up my meditation, that when I came in, let me start again, when I was at home and I had the intention of coming to meditate, that was my first awareness, waking up into the meditation. And then usually around El Camino and taking the turn on to, what is this, Hopkins? I have another moment of awareness of my intention to meditate and I start settling the mind at that point. And I even go into uh, breathing exercises. Then walking into the center, I notice another moment of setting up the meditation by appreciating the environment, like that big tree out there, that big white. Beautiful. And this morning was a little different because um, I walked in and uh, I noticed that my mind wasn't settling because I was on time and I notice like when I'm late and I walk in my mind settles better because I walk into an environment where everyone's already meditating mm -hmm. and that is very calming for me so I settle I believe more quickly T today I was more aware since I was on time that uh, there was a, everyone was um, well, the energy was just different. Like you were writing and people were wrestling around and so I didn't pick up on that field of, of, of meditation. Stillness. And stillness <laughs> that I can tap into if I'm late uh, more quickly. <laughs> so uh, that, that was my moment this morning of setting up. It, it definitely was different. Yes, beautiful. So, so in all of that description was the way that you came into your meditation, the way that you noticed that you were moving through different things, the way you noticed the effect of the environment that you left and that you moved through and that you arrived in. All of those things are the way that we set up, you see? It's, that's actually very skillful and a, a beautiful thing to do. Um, <laughs> you, you can be whatever you like from now on. <laughs> you could always be whatever you liked. <laughs> Pardon? Would you encourage that? Would you set it more easily if I come into this beautiful meditative room? I would encourage... <laughs> if you're asking me actually in a serious way, I would encourage you to notice both ways. In other words, um, one of the things that I've discovered in my own practice is that it's not either or. If it has to be a certain way in order to 
meditate, if we have to be four in the morning with our kitty in our environment, or we have to be late and everybody else is already meditating, then we're, we've created something. We've created a pattern, a habit, that needs to be fulfilled in our mind mistakenly. So it's a kind of both-and. If you look at the, if you look at your experience and rather than either or, let it be both and. In other words, what what I'm trying to point to is that um, whether we exclude any parts of ourself from our experience, from our life, life isn't going to exclude those things. You know. There's going to be people who haven't settled down and, you know, the teacher writing and et cetera, et cetera. That's going to happen in life. That's just the way life is. And if we push against that in any way, um, I mean, that's a perfect example of what we do. So, you know, I, I sat down and, you know, I was in monk's clothes and... <laughs> And I, I was writing letters to my friends half half a world away. So uh, that's just part of the human experience. And you know what? When we see that, when we can accept that, wow, it's so, it's such a relief. It's such a relief to just say, wow, I'm just a person. I'm doing the best I can and everyone else is doing the best they can and Sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. And then there's such a feeling of connection and common humanity. There's such a feeling of um, friendliness and uh, a willingness to, um, you know, to really respect yourself and to respect other people. It's It's a new kind of seeing, a new kind of awareness. And it can come in the most simple ways, something like that. That's like everyone who's shared this morning. It, uh, you can have profound access or access to profound insight when you begin to slow down enough to actually look at what your experience is offering you. You see, this is how it is to be with the truth, the way of the truth, the way of truth, or however I described it last week. It's like in the moment. In the moment, but even the idea that we have to be in the moment is, is an obscuration. So, I, I mean, it gets tricky when we try to use words, but it's just to meet your experience as directly as possible rather than through the filters of what we think about what's happening, you see? So we may think... We have to have, we have to be late in order to settle. We may think that. The fact is, we don't. <laughs> so the upside was. Uh, we need mics. I had, I had more time for my mind to settle. So since I was on time, what I noticed and I was aware of is I had a longer period of time. And even though I didn't settle as quickly, I had enough time to settle. So, and I found that stillness. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know, we can meditate for a half an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or more and never find the place of stillness. 
you know, and it's not the end of the world. It's just what we met at that particular time. Yes. Okay, so I'm finding this kind of ironic today because I was debating whether or not I should come because normally I come, I sit when I meditate and I get comfortable and I relax and I meditate. Mm -hmm. But I've got (laughs) some stuff going on right now that makes it physically uncomfortable to sit. Mm-hmm. And there was this part of me that was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't even go, because at home I can lay in my bed and meditate and be comfortable. But I'm like, how am I going to you know, lay on the floor and so I'm comfortable? And then I get here and I'm thinking, oh, I'm cold, I'm hungry, this floor is uncomfortable, I hurt. And then we sit down and your topic is <laughs> all about, like, let's talk about how we sit and our expectations of meditation. Right. And I'm realizing I'm really glad I came now, because for me, even though the experience was not my usual experience, I'm realizing that that's exactly what you're talking about is sometimes it's going to be different and learning to accept that and get something out of it is more important than having it be right. Exactly. And in fact, in, in fact, maybe there is no right. Maybe we should like take the idea of right and shelve it for a while. And, um, (laughs) Uh, you know, just to just to be with things as they are is an enormous insight. Is an enormous and it's an enormously useful skill to try to cultivate. Because we can see in all of this that um, it seems to be in the nature of the human mind to create habits. We create these habits, and some of the habits that we have um, are skillful, and lots and lots of them are not so skillful. And so, one of the things that meditate, one of the 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 main advantages of meditating, is that we begin to see what our habits of mind are. We begin to see the ways in which we obscure the truth of our experience. So a lot of the teachings that come, that the Buddha gave, he he didn't say, if you do this, that's going to happen, or uh, he he, he pointed to, he pointed us to the truth by saying what it's not. Does that make sense? You see? It's like... It's not being judgmental. It's not being um, living in our preferences. It's not being multitaskers nonstop. You know, it's not, it's none of those things. It's, it's in this particular case of setting up a meditation, it's just slowing down. It's just relaxing. It's just accepting what's there and, and seeing um, and beginning to see what's there. So this is sort of the setup. Um, and if you can relax into it, uh, you can allow whatever is happening in the mind, even if it's something that's difficult, you can meet that difficulty without necessarily believing in it and investing an identification in it. So this 
attitude of relaxation is one that allows us to meet our experience in a more direct way, in a friendlier way. And it allows us to um, not so readily think that this is the way we are. So let's just say that we sit down and, uh, you know, the mind won't settle and we can't stay on the breath and we start to, you know, judge ourselves or judgment appears and then we get angry. Damn it. I've done this time and time again. It's (laughs) never going to work. You see, I might as well just not do it anymore. The fact is that, you know, Anger has arisen. It's really that simple. Anger is there. This is anger, you see. And we think that we're angry at that moment, but if we've allowed ourselves to relax into our experience, we we see the arising of anger, and we see the movement of anger, and we can also watch the passing of anger. And we're just there we're just seeing it this is what it's like to be a human being and experience anger end of story there's really nothing more to that than that you see so the purpose of relaxing and slowing down is to begin to see the way the mind actually works, to begin to see, and in that we begin to see the habits of our own mind. Some of us are given to anger, some of us are given to anxiousness, some of us are given to jealousy, greed, fear, what you name it. You know, some of us are, you know, happiness chunkies. So, and this is just exactly you know what it's like to be a human being so when we relax and we slow down and we begin to see the way the mind works um, we begin to have access to sort of the entire process of what's going on we begin to see how we can gather our attention or whether our attention is actually being gathered you see We have to slow down enough to see what's going on. And in this way, your description this morning was beautiful, a beautiful description of gathering attention. You know, and this is, and you did this around an intention that was clarified in your mind. So that's a beautiful way. So we, we begin to notice how attention is gathered, okay? We begin to notice how the mind wanders. Rather than fighting with the wandering mind, we simply begin to notice the mind is wandering, right? That's all. This is a wandering mind. And when we try to the best of our ability to simply bring the attention back to like the object of meditation, whether it's the breath or whether it's bodily sensations or whatever it happens to be. When we bring that back, we can also notice what it's like in the process of bringing it back. We can notice the attitude that we have there. And that will reveal 
an enormous amount of information as well. So I'm bringing him back, <coughs> back, or, okay, the mind wandered, I'm coming back. There's like judgment or non-judgment, there's friendliness, there's intensity, there's strictness, there's, so we can begin to notice that. So this process that's going on, we begin to notice that a process is going on. And all of this can happen simply because we took the time to set the meditation up. You see? Otherwise, I can spend the whole meditation writing, writing a letter, and the bell rings, and I say, wow, I didn't get to the end of my letter. <laughs> you see? And what about the breath? So, you know, I, I just want to... <laughs> laugh at how human it is to be human. So, so, as we try to do this process, you know, we may notice that we're getting really anxious in that. And if we can notice that we're getting anxious, if we can notice that something's coming up, we can simply have the intention to relax. You know, what does it mean to relax? Well, every one of us has our own definition, but there's something about relaxing which means letting go, a sort of a release, a release of holding. So we notice that we're beginning to get uptight. We don't know what we're uptight about necessarily. Maybe we know what we're uptight about, but maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe this is a moment of delusion or confusion. But we can recognize that things just aren't right. So, you know, all we have to do is let go. Just relax. Just relax around it. We don't have to find the answer. Why are we uptight? You know, what did my mother do to me when I was four years old that I'm still holding, etc., etc. We just relax. Just put it down and relax to the degree that we can relax. So we can, we can in this way, we can cultivate the kind practice of just being patient with ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, just to, be, to meet our experience with a kind of kindness and patience. We just, so we're cultivating this quality, these two really important qualities of patience and kindness. And these qualities will sustain, when we talk about sustainability, this is how you sustain a practice. This is how you sustain motivation. You don't like, like, push your way and force your way and no pain, no gain. It's just that you patiently realize what it's like to be a human being, to have these very real experiences. Sometimes I feel happy and sometimes I don't. And this is what it's actually like for me in this particular moment. This also, I said this a little bit earlier, but it bears repeating. This also allows us to listen to the voices in our minds. I'm a good meditator, I'm a bad meditator, I'm a this, I'm a that. 
to listen to the voices in our minds and not necessarily believe them. To know that those voices are there, they're talking, they're nonstop. But we don't have to believe them, you know. And if we do believe them and get caught, if we have learned to slow down enough and we've created the conditions in which that kind of peaceful attention is present, we will notice that we have, sooner or later, we will notice that we got caught. We, we believed in something that wasn't really true. You see? So this is really an important... Um, it's a simple but really important message, you know. This is how we befriend our experience. And in a way, this is how we be- befriend ourselves and we accept ourselves, you know, with compassion. The, the totality of ourselves, at least to the degree that we can experience the totality of ourselves. And then the last thing I, I want to say about this whole setup business and, and getting into the meditation is that sometimes drowsiness and sleepiness becomes a problem for people. It's one of the five hindrances. But um, <clears throat> So people will often ask, well, what, what do you do when you just fall asleep? You know? And sometimes you just fall asleep. Sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're avoiding things, but sometimes you just fall asleep. Falling asleep can also be a habit. It can be, okay, things are quiet now. (laughs) Everyone's meditating, it's perfect, I can go to sleep. (laughs) You see, it can be something like that. Let me just finish this and then I'll take your question. But... Um, and so people say, what can I do about falling? As I used to ask my teacher that. What, and he would tell me really useful things like, pull your earlobes. And I'd look at him like, pull my earlobes? What is that going to do? <laughs> so, but I guess that was the technique that the Buddha offered, to pull your earlobes. So I'm not pretending I know more than the Buddha here. But... One thing that can be very, very helpful is to take your attention when you notice that you're getting drowsy and refocus it onto your bodily sensations. Go back into the body and notice. Just begin to purposely notice what it's like as you do a body scan to notice the bodily sensations. Just to sort of awaken your attention and your energy. It can be very useful and skillful. So I'm sorry you wanted to ask a question. I was just going to comment. I used to have the drowsiness problem, and I no longer do, and I have the faintest idea how I got rid of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Uh, Another thing that's very commonly reported like that is that when I sit down to meditate, my legs fall asleep. And then after a while, people's legs stop falling asleep. Don't ask me how that happens or why that happens. I'm sure that for the uh, yoga people in the room, there's some sort of an explanation. But in any event, uh, sometimes those problems just go away. 
you know, or sometimes I'm distracted by X, Y, or Z, and now I'm distracted by A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z isn't a problem anymore. So, so I hope this has been useful and helpful in some way, and um, if, if it has, wonderful, use these ideas and, and suggestions, and if it hasn't, there's always the round file. So, does any, we have just a few more minutes and if there's any questions or comments, um, yes. My name is Mary. Hi, Mary. I, um, I started knowing what the word mindfulness about 25 years ago when I first read a book Tick Tick Not Han and that that stayed with me. I I certainly much more mindful than I was twenty five years ago. But I was at a group on Saturday and we were doing Houston Smith's study of world religions and we happened to be on Buddhism. And um, he has a sweet spirited approach to every one of the different religions. And um, someone said, what did you take from this t- today? What, did, what, what was the top thing you could tell me? Because he wasn't there. I said how important mindfulness was. Mm. And I, I, I'm starting, to, when I said that, I don't realize how important it was for me to say that to myself. Mm-hmm. Because until I'm mindful, I don't notice what, just noticing and sometimes naming what's going on with me right. is a tremendous step for me to stay mindful. But then somebody else said something else. He said that Thomas Merton watched Thich Nhat Hanh opened a, open a door. And when he saw the way he opened that door, he knew that Thich Nhat Hanh was on the path. Mm-hmm. And I thought how far I am from noticing all the little things that, give messages to myself and to others. Mm-hmm. And I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that kind of mindfulness. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful, Mary. And um, you are on the path, I guarantee you. And uh, that desire in your heart awakens a quality of inspiration in my heart and in other people's hearts, believe me. And it's also a way that, that we can feel our common humanity and our connectedness. Um, <clears throat> you get a gold star this morning for, for recognizing the fact that without mindfulness, we're just lost. So this is, it's through mindfulness that we know what's happening. It's through mindfulness that we know whether we've set our meditation upright or whether we're, you know, judging ourselves or whether we're doing anything. We, without mindfulness, even this incredibly sublime quality of compassion cannot be known without mindfulness. Maybe some people would argue with that, but that my experience is that, uh, um, and I will tell you that my 
monastic teacher would tell me time and time again, I would go for interviews, and he would say, it's all built on the backbone of mindfulness. Without mindfulness, concentration is impossible. So without mindfulness, we can't know anything. And, um, and as those 25 years passed and you became more mindful, according to your own description, um, it was the Thomas Merton in you noticing the Thich Nhat Hanh in others and in yourself. So I, I just want, really want to encourage you in that way to be really respectful of yourself and of the wisdom that resides within your own heart and mind. And that goes for everyone in the room, every one of us. You see, it's so easy to dismiss ourselves. We think every we think it somewhere out there is this knowing and we don't know ourselves. We have to and there are things that we can learn. I don't mean to suggest that there aren't teachings and teachers out there, but we could never know we could never receive anything from out there if it wasn't already in our hearts. You see, <clears throat> if mindfulness didn't reside in the heart of Thomas Merton, he would never have been able to recognize it in Thich Nhat Hanh. So, you know, <clears throat> what you're saying really is I, when I receive it, it's like I'm seeing a mirror and it's bringing that quality forth in me. Yeah, you really touched a, <laughs> a spot in my heart this morning, so thank you. Thank you for that. There was one more question here, and then we will. I think I'd like to end with that image, actually, um, and appreciating that. Um, I, I try to write poetry, and that Thich Nhat Hanh opens a door is such a, a beautiful thing. You Do you know where Thomas Martin writes about that? I know, he has a lot. <laughs> okay, I'll, thank you. So, so since you're a poet, <laughs> I don't normally do this, but I, I will end with a very short poem. How about that for a change from somebody who never does poetry? And this is called, um, I love this poem, it's by William Safford, and it's called uh, Being a Person, and it has to do with respecting ourselves in this way. <clears throat> Be a person here. Stand by the river. Invoke the owls. Invoke winter, then spring. Let any season that wants to come here make its own call. After that sound goes away, wait. A slow bubble rises through the earth and begins to include sky, stars, all space, even the outracing, expanding thought. Come back and hear the little sound again. Suddenly this dream you are having matches everyone's dream and the result is the world. 
If a different call came, there wouldn't be any world, or you, or the river, or the owls calling. How you stand here is important. How you listen for the next things to happen. How you breathe. So may you all breathe your own unique (laughs) breath. And uh, thank you all for your kind attention this morning and whatever merit we've gathered together by sharing the Dhamma and practicing together, may it benefit all beings everywhere. Thank you so much.